Good morning. Welcome to River Rock. We're glad you guys are here with us this morning. I just want to start this morning by asking you the question that many of you will probably go around your Thanksgiving tables this next week and answer, which is, what are you thankful for this Thanksgiving? And since we're in church, we're going to go ahead and assume that everybody's going to say Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, all that stuff, the Bible, you know. So no Sunday school answers. I'm, I'm really curious, what are you thankful for this Christmas? Just call it out one at a time. Who's got something? What are you thankful for? Family. What else? Job. Job. Health. What else? Air conditioning. Yes. Amen. Yes. What else? Mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes. I like the way you think. Rugged good looks. All right. Excellent. Awesome. Well, now I want you to imagine all those things. Some of you, you have something in your mind, and typically these are things that, that we love that we enjoy, that are good things. These are blessings that God has given us in our life. And now I want you to imagine that God asked for it back. But he asked you to give it up. And he says, you know what, I, I know this is something good that I've given you, but I want you to leave that behind. I want you to step out and trust me. Are you willing to give that thing up? Are you willing to let go of that good thing, even if it is something that God has given you? Today, as we finish our three-week study of the life of Abraham, we're going to see that that is exactly what God has called him to do. We've studied three tests in Abraham's life. First, we had the test of Lot, which was the test of leaving. And in this test, we, we said that Abraham had to learn to trust God's promises. Remember, God, God says, I will make you a great nation into a great people. Through you, all nations of the earth will be blessed. But he says, first, you have to leave the land where you're living. You have to leave your father's household, leave your relatives, and go to the land that I show you. And we saw that it took Abraham four times to actually get that right. And he was continuing to cling to Lot as kind of this backup plan, this plan B in case God didn't come through. And then he finally trusts God. And then we see that he has the test of Ishmael. Ishmael was the test of waiting. And this is uh, learning to trust God's timing. Because remember, God had promised him a son, promised him a descendant, promised him an heir. And then we see that time goes by, 10 years pass, and he still doesn't have a son. And so he takes things into his own hands. He and Sarah. And they end up with Ishmael. And it just complicates things in their lives. And they had to learn to trust God's timing. And today, we're going to see that God's going to test Abram in a new way. He's going to test Abraham in a new way. And that is the test of Isaac. And this is the test of confusion. When we don't know what God is calling us to do or why he's calling us to do it. And we're going to see that in this time, we have to learn to trust God's character. We have to trust God's character. And the thing about those first two tests, the test of Ishmael and the test of Lot, is that these two tests were clearly different than the test of Isaac. You see, the first two tests were a a clear distinction between God's perfect will and Abraham's will. Because God had something specific that he had called Abraham to, and he had a specific timetable for doing it, but Abraham had his own desires, had his own understanding of how God's plan should work. Anybody ever been there before? Yeah, amen, right? But this, this test of Isaac, this is God's gift. This is the very thing that God promised me all those years ago, and now God is telling me something different. And so we become confused. 
when God responds to us or begins to act in a way that we've never experienced him acting before. And it's in this moment that we have to learn to trust God's character. Now remember, Abraham has been walking with God for 40 years. 40 plus years that he, since he's left Ur and he started walking with the Lord. And he's still being tested. He's still learning. And as we see in this story that, that we're going to see something happens in his life. We remember that Abraham is now 100 years old. Sarah is now 90 years old. Uh, and, and this is when God finally comes to him and says, hey, you're going to have your own child, and they get Isaac. Well, a few years pass. Isaac is now in his teens. So Abraham's probably at least 113. And God comes to him and says, look, uh, I know that you think your life is complete now that you have Isaac. I know that you and Sarah are comfortable in your life, and I, I know that, that everything is good in your life. But I have a request for you. God does something completely unexpected. Let's look at chapter 22 of Genesis. Verses 1 and 2 say, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will tell you about. So God comes to Abraham and he says, Look, this is... This is what I want. Those good things that I've given you, that gift of Isaac, I want him back. I want you to sacrifice Isaac to me. And this is the greatest test of Abraham's faith. Because Isaac is the one in whom God had promised the fulfillment of everything. That his descendants would come through Isaac, that he would be blessed through Isaac. And now God says, I want him back. Again, Lot and Ishmael were a clear test, uh, a clear example of, of a choice between God's will and Abraham's will. But Isaac was God's will. How could it possibly be that God would call me to do this? How could God possibly call me to give Isaac back to him? And this is the point where we, we come to understand that this is perhaps the hardest test. This is the greatest test of faith. When God begins working in our lives in ways that we don't understand, And it becomes confusing to us that did God really say? Is God really speaking to me? And I could tell you this morning, I had one of those moments. I had one of those moments. Many of you know that Amanda and I have been training for a marathon. And it's getting to the point where our runs are getting longer and longer. You know, you keep adding miles. And just this past weekend, I started thinking about all the time that I'm spending away from my kids. And this is a good thing. This is something that I... that I. Well, I used to say I love running, but uh, after 12 miles last weekend, I was like, you know, I don't think I love this as much anymore. But I really felt like God was saying, hey, uh, you have two choices. You can either give up your spot in the marathon or, or maybe just cut back to a half marathon. I'm like, but I already paid for the full marathon. Uh, I don't get my money back. And, you know, I, I, to be honest... There's something inside of me that just likes being able to say that I did a marathon. And yeah, that I, I know that that's my stupid pride, but it's there. And like I just be, like being able to say that I did it. But God says, just give, it, just give it back to me. Just hand that over to me. And so I'm, I'm struggling through that myself this morning. I know that seems like a small example, but I'm struggling through that. So why does God call Abraham to make this sacrifice? Well, we have the answer right there in verse 1. What does it say? It says that God 
did, after these things, God did what? God tested Abraham. God gives him a test. Now, I, I know it's hard for us to understand why God would test us in this way, but I think Martin Luther has a great quote. He used to tell his students, in order for you to know God, you need three things. You need to know how to study the Bible, you need to know how to pray, and you need to be tested. Because it's in the testing of our faith that where what we read in Scripture comes to life. We have a chance to apply it. And what we've been praying about, we have an opportunity to put that into practice, to see God work in ways that we don't understand. And it's how we learn to trust God's character. So if you're in the dark this morning, if there's an area of your life that you're saying, look, I just don't get what God is doing. I just don't understand what God is saying to me about this. I don't know why he's calling me to do this. Just understand, this is a test. This is only a test. The emergency God craft system is conducting a test of your faith right now. Had this been an actual emergency, it would be followed by instructions uh, for you to follow, right? So it's only a test. And here's the great thing about tests. This is, this is something that, that I love. Does God know what's going to happen at the end of that test? Absolutely. Does God need to test Abraham's faith to know that Abraham believes in him and trusts in him? No. Who is the test for? The test is for Abraham. The test is for Abraham, and we're going to see that there's something going on in Abraham's life that he needed to understand about his relationship with God, just the same way that your test that you're going through is for you. God already knows. God already knows how you're going to respond, but this test is for you. So that you can see, I can trust God's character. I've, I've learned to trust his promises. I'm learning to trust his timing. I need to trust his character. I'm going to trust that what God says is going to happen, that what he says is true. Now, I love this in verse 3. Remembering it's been 40 years. Let's see what 40 years of walking with God does for Abraham. Verse 3, it says, So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took, him, uh, took with him two, two of his young men, And his son Isaac, he split the wood for the burnt offering and set out to go to the place that God had told him about. I love this. Forty years ago, 40 plus years ago, God calls Abraham in Ur and he says four things. He says, leave your household, leave leave your land, leave your father's household, leave your relatives, go to the land I show you. Took him four tries to get that right in over a 10 year period, right? So it takes him a long, it takes him a decade to obey four simple things. What do we see here? God calls him. He says, here I am. God says, do this. Next morning he gets up and he does it. No procrastination, no waiting, no questioning, no bargaining. He just obeys. He obeys and he doesn't even know. Again, he doesn't know. God says, go to a mountain that I'm going to show you. Now here's the thing about faith. If you already have the answer, then it's not really faith. And I think a lot of us, we want God to answer the what's going to happen question before we take that step of faith. And that's not faith. That's not faith. Faith is when you step out and you follow the Lord and you don't know how it's going to end up. You're not sure of exactly where he's going to lead you. That's faith. That's faith. And so Abraham takes this step of faith. He's not quite 100% sure what God is doing. He doesn't know how the story ends. But he steps out in faith and he follows him. 
Verses 4 and 5 say this. On the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. Then Abram said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there and worship and we will come back to you. Interesting. How is it possible that Abraham says, I'm going to go sacrifice my son. He knows what God has called him to. And I'm going to go sacrifice Isaac, but we will come back to you. We will come back to you. Hebrews 11 gives us the answer. Let's look at Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19. It says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises, and he was offering up his unique son. The one it had been said about your seed will be traced through, through Isaac. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead, and so he got him back as an illustration. So here's the thing. Abraham understands, all right, God has made me all these promises, and God has made it 100% absolutely clear that Isaac is the one through whom these promises are going to be fulfilled. So if God is calling me to sacrifice Isaac, that means that God is going to raise Isaac from the dead. He has to. I know God's character. God does not lie. God always fulfills his promises, and he's already promised that he's going to make these things happen through Isaac. So I can trust that God is going to raise him from the dead. And here's the thing. This is the second time that Abraham has received Isaac from the dead. Remember, Abraham and Sarah were were 190 years old when Isaac was born. We read earlier that Abraham received Isaac when he was one who was as good as dead. He was as good as dead. So once they receive him from a dead womb, the second time, Abraham says, look, if God can make a 90-year-old woman give birth to a son, to a 100-year-old man, then he can certainly raise him up out of the ashes of the altar and bring him back to life and fulfill his promises because that is the God I serve. When we face the test of confusion, when we're confused about what God is calling us to do, we must trust in God's character. We must trust in God's character. And the only way that we learn to do that is by looking back at our past. Again, thinking about all the steps that Abraham went through from Ur to Haran, from Haran to Canaan, and he's got Lot with him, and then they end up from going from Canaan to Egypt, and then Egypt back to Canaan, and then he finally splits with Lot. And God says, now that you finally obeyed, now I can bless you. Look at all this land. This is all going to be your descendants' land someday. And then they take matters in their own hands, and they end up with Ishmael. And God says, I'm sorry, but nice try, but that's not my plan. And so it's not going to be Ishmael. It's going to be Isaac. And then at at 100 years old, his wife, his 90-year-old wife, gives birth to Isaac. And finally, the promise comes true, and he sees that God has fulfilled his promise. God has always fulfilled his promise. And so if God says, sacrifice Isaac, I can know that, that God is going to fill his pro- fulfill his promise through Isaac, and God is not going to take Isaac from me. He's going to give him back. He's going to bring him back because that is God's character. He's a God who always fulfills his promises. We have to learn to trust him. We have to learn to trust him with even the most difficult things in our lives. Verse 7 through 14, let's look at what happens next. Verse 7 says, Then Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, My father. And he replied, Here I am, my son. Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but 
Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked together. When they arrived at the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar and there arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Then he said, Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham named the place the Lord will provide. So it is said, so today it is said, it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. So why does God test Abraham's faith in this way? Why Isaac? Why is this the test that God puts him through? The reality is, Isaac had become something more than just a son to Abraham. Imagine, a hundred years old, you finally get that one thing that you want. You finally have that, that son that you've waited for, the one in whom all the promises are. It's not far-fetched to believe that at some point, Abraham switched from trusting in God to be the provision, God being the one who's going to make the promises happen, to switching his thinking that now Isaac, Isaac is going to make these things happen. God gave me Isaac, and, and Isaac's going to have descendants, and Isaac's going to have sons. Isaac's going to be the fulfillment of all the promise. And so his, his allegiance, his hope shifts from being in God and God alone to now I'm looking to Isaac. Isaac has brought meaning to my life. Isaac has given me the things that only God can give me. And so there's this this point in Abraham's life where he moves from trusting God to fulfill the promise to now he's trusting in Isaac. Isaac has become an idol. Often we get confused in our lives and we begin worshiping the gift rather than the giver. Often we get confused in our lives and we worship the gift rather than the giver. I love this quote by Tim Keller. He wrote a book a number of years ago called Counterfeit Gods. And if you've never read read that book, I really encourage you to read it. But he defines an idol as this. An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. Anything so central and essential to your life that should you use it, lose it, your life would, hard, would feel hardly worth living. Now, many of you, as I read that, in your minds, you could immediately identify what the idols are in your life. There was something that jumped to your mind. There was something that came to your mind. Perhaps it was something that's even good. Maybe it's even something that God has given you. But there was something that came to your mind. And this is the hard thing, that an idol is not always money. For some of us, yeah, I'd say money's a big idol in our, in our culture. But for some of us, it's a relationship. That we're holding on to a relationship or we've prioritized a relationship that should we lose that relationship, our life would hardly feel worth living. For others, it's our children. In fact, I think for a lot of us, it's our children. We put them on the pedestal just like Isaac did. 
and we begin worshiping our children, and our lives begin to revolve around our children, and we begin to ask questions like, well, what's better for our kids rather than what would God have me do? For some of us, it's success. For others of us, it's this idea that we have to do something great. Yeah, but I have to do something great for God. I have to have this big gesture that I could make some name for myself in Christianity. I want to do something great. Now, is doing something great and magnificent and and amazing for the kingdom a bad thing? Absolutely not. But when that begins to identify us, it becomes our identity, and we find our identity in the things that we're doing rather than in God himself. We've created an Isaac. We've created an idol. A lot of times... Some of, some of us, it's our doctrine. We rely on our doctrine being right more than we rely on God. Because if I could just have right doctrine, then I can know that these things are, are great and God's going to accept me because my doctrine is right. And we get in fights over silly stuff rather than relying on our faith in God. For others, it's our moral living. We begin to rely on doing the right things, living the right way, thinking that if I could just do this, and if, or if I make a mistake over here, then I'm toast. We have all these different idols in our lives that, that are very difficult for us to give up at times, and sometimes it's even difficult to identify them as idols because they're God-given things. They're things that God wants for us. But what happens is we begin to prioritize them more than God. Rather than seeking the giver, we end up settling for satisfaction in the gift. So how do we know that that Isaac had become this to Abraham? Well, the text itself actually gives us clues, uh, and and especially when you read it in the Hebrew. And so we have these in a little bit different translation, not the Hebrew exactly. That would be awesome if we could all read it. But I want us to look at a few verses here. Verse 2. I want us to look at verse 2 of Genesis 22. And then we're going to look at these other ones. And it says, says this, Now take your son. Listen to how God speaks about Isaac. He says, Take your son, your only son, whom you love. All right, this is before the test. This is before Abraham puts Isaac up on the altar. And so there's this threefold description of Isaac. He says, Take your son, your only son, the one you love. And then let's see how he refers to Isaac after the test. He says, Don't stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son. Interesting. There's something missing there. Let's read the next verse in 16. It says, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son. What's missing? The one whom you love. The implication in that first verse being the one whom you love more than me. Hey, Abraham, uh, I want you to take your son, your only son. You know the one that you love more than me? You know the one that you began looking to to be the fulfillment in your life more than me? You know the one that you began to tie your identity to more than me? I want you to take him and sacrifice him. I want you to give him back to me. It's a very confusing position to be in. But I think every single one of us ends up 
creating idols in our lives. We end up with that thing that we love more than God. A little bit more proof here. Really interesting. Uh, just from the text itself, as we, as we start to see that, I love verse 12, it says, Now I know that you fear God. That word fear doesn't mean you're trembling, shaking, hiding under a rock. That word fear means that you revere, that you worship alone, that you love alone. God says, now I know that you love me. Further extent of of Abraham's now undeniable, wholehearted love for God, that he shifted his allegiance from his son wholeheartedly to where it should be, to God, is something very, very interesting. Let's look at verse 6 and a few other verses. It says, Abraham took the word, the burnt offering, laid it on the sun, and he took in his hands the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked together. This is before the test. The two of them walked together. And then after the test, what's it say? So the two of them walked on together. God will provide for himself. Isaac's asking about the sacrifice. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. And then verse 19, what does it say? Read it with me. It says, so Abraham returned to his young men. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Abraham returned to his young men. What would you expect it to say? He already said, Isaac and I are going to go over here and worship and we will come back. But verse 19, after the test, it only says that Abraham returns. Abraham returns, probably because Isaac's like, whoa, dad, hey, uh, why don't you go on ahead of me and uh, I'll catch up with you later. This has been quite some camping trip. Thanks, dad. Uh, You'll get my therapy bills later. No. Moses, the writer of Genesis, is doing something with the text. He's showing that from this point on, in fact, for the rest of Abraham's story, for the rest of his life, until the point where he dies, we no longer see Abraham and Isaac mentioned together. Abraham no longer appears in the same setting as Isaac. Abraham no longer speaks to Isaac until his death. Why? Are we to believe that they were never together? No. Absolutely, they were together. Are we to believe that they never talked? No, they, they spoke. But the writer is making a point. He's saying from this point on, from the testing of Abraham's faith on, it was absolutely clear to everyone around him that Abraham loved God alone. And I'm going to show you that by not putting them anywhere close to each other in the story because now the story is no longer about Abraham and Isaac. The story is about Abraham and God. The story about is, is about his life with God. And so Abraham has this shift of his allegiance. He has this shift back to putting his faith in God and trusting in God's character. Abraham's love with God has been settled. There's a line that has been drawn in the sand. And no one will ever question where Abraham's allegiance lies. Abraham's love for God and his fear for God now trumps everything else in his life. And it's absolutely clear to everyone around him, including himself. Something else that was interesting to me as I studied this passage last week is that this is the third time that Abraham has built an altar to the Lord in his life. The previous two times when Abraham built an altar, it says Abraham worshiped, or Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Abraham called on the name of the Lord. It says it twice. This is the only time that we read about Abraham building an altar 
that it says he sacrificed. That the word sacrifice is used. Interesting. Interesting. It's very interesting to me. So this is the climax of Abraham's, not just Abraham's story, this is the climax of his faith. The building of his faith. This is the point where he now has it settled in his own life that nothing will ever come between me and God again. Not even the good things that God has given me. I need to stop worshiping the stuff that God has given me and I need to worship him alone, trusting his character. Trusting that God is enough for me. This past week, uh, I typically try to get most of my sermon done by Tuesday. If I get it done on Tuesday, that's a hole in one. Um, Wednesday is like birdie. And then, you know, Thursday is par, right? Par for the course. So I try to get it done early in the week. And I sat down Wednesday and I read through the passage. And as I started reading the passage, I started realizing about how Isaac had become this idol for God. It was this thing that had come between him and God. He'd placed something over his relationship with God. And as I started thinking about that this week, I started asking, God, what are the things in my life? And don't ever ask that question because God will show you. Uh, And so he shows me and I'm like, all right, I need to stop. I need to get this right. I need to make sure it's in the right place. Because here's the reality. Let me just say this. Just because something is an idol in your life doesn't mean God is calling you to sacrifice it, right? You may recognize that your kids are an idol in your life and God is not calling you to walk away from those. You can't walk away from that responsibility. What you can do is rearrange your priorities, You can't walk away from your marriage. You can rearrange your priorities. There may be other things in your life that God is calling you to sacrifice, that he is saying, you need to give this up completely. You need to cut this out and let me be first. But there are some things that you can't do that with. And so God shows me the first thing, and I'm like, all right, let's pray about that. Let's have a conversation, Lord. Show me what I need to do. All right, good, I've got that down. So I go back to the text, and I start reading, and then I'm like, God, are there any more idols in my life? He's like, oh, yeah. So we go back, and we're like, all right, let's do this again. So I'm praying, I'm, I'm thinking, and I'm developing a plan. Like, what's my plan to make this right? And over and over again, three days straight, it's Wednesday morning, almost lunchtime. I've got a, I've got a meeting at uh, 11.30 that's going to last till 1, and then I've got meetings after that. And if I don't get my sermon written on Wednesday morning, it's just not going to happen because I had stuff the rest of the week. And so finally, uh, excuse me, Thursday morning, Thursday morning, I finally sit down, and it's been, it's been three days of just going through this stuff with God over and over and over again. It wasn't until late Wednesday night that God finally said, all right, I think you get it because something hit me. God was never after Isaac. He was only after Abraham's heart. And it was when Abraham realized that, and he put his own heart, his own life on the altar, and said, God, here it is. Take it all. It's yours. It was in that moment, it was in that moment that he had his greatest expression of faith that I'm going to trust your character with my whole life. It was never about Isaac. It was always about Abraham. And when God revealed that to me, I realized I didn't have to sit there and get rid of everything one by one. But I just needed to put my own life on his altar and say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. You be number one in my life. You be number one in my life. And then 
I had an errand to run, and as I was driving, I was praying. I was like, all right, God, it's Wednesday night. I need you to leave me alone. I have to get my work done. Uh, God, I, I am trying to get my work done, and I kid you not, this is exactly what I heard. Chuck, I'm trying to get my work done too, and you are my work. You are my work. I'm not going to leave you alone. And so I wrestled for the rest of the week, and I, I continue to strive every single day. Lord, have my life. Have all of me. Have everything that I am. Because that's what God wants from us. It's never about our Isaacs. Let me ask you, what idols do you have in your life? What Isaacs have you created? What have you allowed to come between you and God? Are you ready to put yourself on the altar? Are you ready to make that relationship right with the Lord? To reprioritize those things? To understand the place that God has in your life? Is there anything that you value more than or that you're holding back from God, even if it's something good that he's given you or promised you? What is that thing? And will you, will you let today be the day that you draw a line? Will you let today be the day that it's said of you, now I know that Charlie fears the Lord because he is not withheld. Now I know that Jason fears the Lord because he is not withheld. Now I know that Amanda fears the Lord because she is not withheld. What is that for you? What is that thing that, that you're withholding from God? And will you let today be the day that you place yourself on the altar and say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. You be number one. You be number one. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for the time that you allow us to gather to study your word and to worship. Lord, I thank you that you speak directly to us through your Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you that we can not only trust your promises and your timing, but we can trust your character because you are faithful and you do provide. I ask for every single one of us this week as we come up to a time where we stop to remember all the things for which we're thankful. Lord, would you show us those things that perhaps... Maybe we've moved from just being thankful for them to worshiping them, to finding our identity in them, to feeling like if I don't have this thing in my life, as great as it is, as much of a blessing as it is, if if God were to take this thing from me, my life would not be worth living. I would no longer be who I am. And Lord, would you replace whatever that thing is with you? Would we be able to say that the greatest thing in our life that we are thankful for is a relationship with our Heavenly Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. May you be the only thing that we look to for our identity, for our hope, and for our future. pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. What's interesting in that story is that Abraham says to Isaac, God will provide the sacrifice. God will provide. Not knowing what God was going to do, he had, to learn to, he had learned to trust God's character, and he knew God's character enough to know that God would, would provide. And one of the things um, that I'll say this morning is that, uh, I know this was in the bulletin, we didn't cover it, but God always provides what God requires. God always provides what God requires. And I know there are some of you here this morning thinking that if I give this up, 
then I'm going to miss out on this. But, but let me remind you that God will always give you what he requires from you. Or perhaps God is calling you to something and you're afraid that you're not going to be able to do it. And let me reassure you that if God has called you to it, he will provide the ability for you to accomplish what he's called you to. If you would go ahead and grab your connection card this morning. Uh, if you're a member of regular attender at River Rock, go ahead and finish filling that out. If you're new to River Rock, I want to point you to the back. Um, the back side says, I'm interested in, in one of the very first boxes says, beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, we understand that God provides what God requires. Every single one of us, every single one of us has a sin problem. And God requires that we deal with that sin problem before we can enter into a relationship with him. And many people end up, like Abraham, uh, relying on something other than what God has asked. And we end up relying on our good works or we end up relying on our church attendance or giving the right amount of money. And we fail to realize that God has already supplied what he requires. God has already provided everything that he requires for a relationship in him. Because what God requires is perfection. And we don't have the ability to do that. But his son Jesus Christ does. When Abraham takes Isaac to sacrifice him, God spares Isaac. 2,500 years later, God would not spare his own son. Instead, he sent Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. So that through faith in him, maybe not understanding fully, but through faith, believing that Jesus Christ died in our place and that his death provided the sacrifice that we needed to be able to enter into a relationship with God, that through him, we can have that relationship. God has already provided what he requires. It's up to us to receive that gift through faith. And so if you're here this morning and you have yet to put your faith in Jesus Christ, I ask that you would just check that box that says, I'm interested in beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ. I would love to have a conversation with you about that. I would love to talk with you about that and help answer any questions that you may have. Uh, at this time.